Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's the first day this week that we are not talking about the proposed constitutional amendment to reduce the value of our voting. We have so many other things to talk about on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston, who's being a trooper. As you'll hear, she's talking through a cold. So let's start with her. Laura. How does the White House say Ohio will be affected by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's spending cut demands in exchange for raising the nation's debt ceiling? As we know, the there's a big war in Washington again that could destroy our economy if they don't come to some accommodation. In this case, it's cutting something near and dear to your heart. Yeah, it's one of many, many programs that would be affected. But there's no hope of this passing the Democratic majority Senate. And Biden said that he would veto it if it ever came to him. So this is a non-starter. But this is the Republicans' compromise to raise the debt limit and start to balance the country's income with its spending. We spend more than we collect in taxes, and we're going to reach our debt limit by the beginning of June. So the debt limit is the total amount of money that the United States government is authorized to borrow to meet its existing legal obligations. That includes all the entitlements like Social Security and Medicare, but military, interest on the national debt, which is a huge amount of money, tax refunds, and other payments. So the this, the GOP bill would set this federal discretionary spending at $1.47 trillion during the next fiscal year, and it would allow it to raise only 1% every year after that. That's far below the usual inflation rate. And so the White House looked at this and sent out a release saying you know, what it would do in Ohio. So it would cut close at least five air traffic control towers in Ohio, cut the state transit and highway funding by nearly $43 million, eliminate 15,300 preschool and childcare slots, eliminate rental assistance for 23,000 Ohioans and threaten medical care for 250,000 Ohio veterans. So this, this is going to, I mean, if they start cutting, it's going to cut across the board. I, I get where they're coming from, right? They're saying we don't have the money. We're spending too much money. We're building up the national debt. Anybody that works on a budget knows you can't keep spending more than you have. We've got to make cuts. But you also have McCarthy dealing with a whole bunch of nut jobs on the far right side of the party that helped install him. Yeah. And he's trying to appease them with things that are clearly never going to fly and and seem draconian. They're not talking about cutting the military budget. They're not talking or, about or raising taxes. Right. They're not they're not trying to figure out some other sensible things. They're they're going after the Republican easy shots and childcare and things like that. I, I I you you have to respect them for saying, look, when are we ever going to get back to trying to tighten the belt? I com- we should. I completely agree with that. JD Vance says we spend $129 for every $100 we bring in. And so he, you know, and he Jordan really wants to rein this in. But when we're talking about the debt limit, the idea is you got to pay your bills, right? So raising the debt limit do- isn't ex- the same thing as spending money. It just says we can go more in debt to spend the stuff we already said 
we were going to. So I agree with you. I, I really, I, I find the national debt kind of fascinating, honestly, because the number is just so massive. And I don't think most people want to think about it. I don't think they understand it. I don't think it's comprehensible. So Zachary Smith, uh, one of our reporters, is working on a by-the-numbers kind of explainer about this because the U.S. has actually carried debt since its very inception. But over the past 100 years, our debt has increased from about $408 billion in 1922 to $31 trillion in 2022. Yeah. Lisa and I remember when the debt was one of kind of the crystallizing political arguments that, that there was a huge focus on it. And then that just kind of went away for the last 20 years and it's out of control. So th there should be some agreement. The problem is we're so polarized as a country, the Democrats and the Republicans are never going to agree on what we should cut unless we get rid of the political party nomination system and change our voting system to something that bubbles up reasonable people. We're in trouble. Uh, you know, this is a, this, like you said, this will never fly, but it does give you the mindset of Republicans that are thinking, hey, we should cut all these social services, all these people getting free money. And the Democrats who are saying we're never going to do that. Well, That's a draconian way to move. I once I, I read that if you just look at the stuff that we have to spend, the entitlement programs, the military spending, uh, we're already spending more than we take in. So you could cut all of the programs the federal government does to actually help people. And we're still not going to balance the budget, which is is mind-blowing, right? So I'm glad we're paying attention to this. I I remember hearing about it as like a young teenager and being like, well, if everybody just gave a dollar, couldn't we just get rid of it? And having absolutely no sense of how much this is. There's a billboard on 77 that we took a picture of. Um, I don't know what it says now, but I remember seeing at one point in the last couple of months, $70,000 per person for to, to pay off the national debt. Just we should be, though, as a nation, taking another look at military spending. That's been completely off limits now for a long time, and a lot of it is in secret, and there's a lot of room for abuse there. So th th there should be a wholesale review of how that money is being spent because it's a gargantuan. Good luck with the Republicans on that one. Well, but just to find out what it's for. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you know, it's a, it's, I forget what they call it, but it's kind of the black budget that you never get to see. It's in completely in the dark. And I get it. You don't want to give away your important national security secrets to, to potential enemies, but they're Congress people. They can look at it. They could start to question, are there programs we need to cut back on? Are there bases that we should close? We haven't had a discussion of a military base closing in quite some time. You're listening to Today in Ohio. It's not like getting a hub airline as we once had, but what is the big possibility with Frontier Airlines that could considerably improve flight options at Cleveland Hopkins International Airport? Lisa, this is pretty promising. It does sound promising. Frontier uh, Senior Vice President Daniel Schurz says that Cleveland is on a short list for a home base that would host up to 400 pilots and flight attendants. Schurz says we like the city. He says Cleveland operations are large enough to have us be 
considered for a base, and he said a final decision will be made in a matter of months. Denver-based Frontier has nine pilot and flight attendant bases and one for flight attendants only in Chicago. Um, They're estimating that this home base in Cleveland would probably be about 250 flight attendants and 140 pilots. Other home bases include Tampa, Denver, Dallas, Miami, Atlanta, Las Vegas, Orlando, and Phoenix. And airports really like crew bases because they feel like it leads to sustained growth within that airline. It it also results in better flight schedules because the crew is right there and would, of course, create hundreds of good jobs. Ward 14, uh, Cleveland City Councilwoman Jasmine Santana says, this is huge. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going on to the next story. (laughs) But this is a big deal. If if they were to do this, think about how many times the flight gets canceled because the plane that that has your flight crew is late or mm-hmm. delayed. And if you had a supply of flight crews, it would make it easier for the airline to say, okay, we don't have that crew, but this crew is standing mm-hmm. by. Let's move them in. I mean, that it, again, it's not like having a hub and Frontier, as we've discussed, is the low-cost airline that seems to cancel flights on whims, like like volcanic ash from Russia, as Laura knows. <laughs> but this this would be a step up for for Cleveland Hopkins. It's a good news story. And and but, and looking at the the home bases, there's really no one. There's nothing really near Cleveland. The closest one is. Atlanta. So, I mean, it sounds like a home base in this part of the country is a good idea anyway. Yeah, it would be good. All right, let's move on to the other story. Speaking of Frontier, what's the significance of its new direct flight to Puerto Rico? Well, as I was starting to say, uh, yeah, Cleveland uh, City Councilwoman Ward 14, Jasmine Santana, this is huge news. She's very excited. Frontier has restarted nonstop flights from Hopkins to San Juan, Puerto Rico. They haven't done that since 2017. So they will be flying out on four days, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Uh, Tickets will range from $250 to $500, and they'll be using a 186-seater Airbus 320neo for these flights. Now, it's estimated that 90 to 100 people go to Puerto Rico from Cleveland via connecting flights every day. So this obviously is going to fill a need. And like I said, you know, Jasmine Santana is thrilled. Her ward is about 50% Latino, a lot of them Puerto Ricans. And so they'll be excited to be able to go back and forth to see family and friends. Yeah, I was surprised at the number of people that are already going through mm-hmm. connecting flights, because if you have that much demand, it seems like a no-brainer that you ought to have a direct flight. You'll make good money on that. They, when they start flights to new cities, it's often on spec. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not sure, like, you know, flying to Ireland, how many people are going to do that. But this one, they, they have the built-in demand. So it, I agree, it's good news. I'm just surprised that there hasn't, it hasn't existed for, what, six years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was actually surprised to know that United Airlines keeps a home base here. Even though we're no longer a hub for United, they have about 500 crew members here in Cleveland as a home base. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Layla, how much money is it going to take to get Greater Cleveland RTA's rail lines into, quote, a state of good repair. It's almost enough to build a new football stadium. <laughs> well, this, yeah, this is all part of RTA's capital improvements plan for 2024 through 2028. And RTA says that they need $686.6 million over the next five years. And honestly, if it takes that much to bring the system into a state of good repair, I, I 
shudder to think of the condition that the system is in right now. <laughs> but they have been, all, the RT has already been begun rehabbing the blue and green rapid transit lines. They completed two of eight phases in that $70 million project. But RTA wants to be aggressive about replacing this 1980s era track system east of Shaker Square by 2028 so that the lines can be ready for the new cars if and when funding becomes available. They've been applying for grant funding, but they need a lot of it. The Board of Trustees recently agreed to spend $164 million to buy up to 24 rail cars for the heavy rail. That's the red line. But they need to order another 36 cars to replace the light rail fleets. Those are, are cars that are universal. They'd be able to run on any line. But first, RTA needs to reconstruct about eight and a half miles of rail track between the Shaker Square station and the eastern ends of the blue and green lines so that they can accommodate those light rail cars. And they'd like to start work next year, and they hope that those improvements will let the cars run faster up to, you know, I guess, 45 miles an hour and more frequently. I, I, it's a huge number and I don't understand where they think the money will come from. Yeah. I mean, there's just not that much in grants available, is there? Well, yeah, there's the federal, federal stream of money for infrastructure. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I don't know where else they're going to cobble this together. They're very optimistic, but, um, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, the other items in their plan include ordering more rail cars and, continuing to replace aging buses. They've got a lot of demands. What do you do with this system? It, it seems like ridership just keeps dropping and dropping. It's becoming more decrepit. They have huge capital needs. It, it, it almost feels like you need to have some kind of master planning about public transportation again in Cleveland because of the state of it. We spend an enormous amount of money on it, and it, it doesn't get used as much as it should uh, and we have these huge looming costs. Yeah, and it's it's kind of one of those chicken and the egg scenarios. If they improve it, I'm sure ridership would would increase. Uh, if if it were a state of the art system, I I would happily use it. But but also you can't eliminate it because many many people depend on it every day. So it's uh, it is it's an, uh, you, it's. Yeah. Yeah. You can't eliminating it is not an option. When right. with with a world that is dealing with climate change, public transit is a huge solution. It's just I don't. It, it, it we're I don't know. It feels like band aids, big band aids, very expensive band aids, mm -hmm. but it doesn't seem like it's visionary for right. making Cleveland a public transit city where lots of people want to use it. You're listening to today in Ohio. When is the Parma school system going to accept the message from voters that they do not want their taxes increased? Laura, they lost another one. Why do they keep saying we'll come back? Because they really want new schools. I mean, obviously, they're very determined when it comes to the school board and, and the school parents and community. But this is four times in four years, and that has failed. So the totals were 53.5%. 3% against and about 46.47% in favor. So, I mean, that huge, I mean, it wasn't a landslide, but this was the unofficial results for the Board of Elections on Tuesday. The superintendent said it's disappointing. They thought they had positive momentum. They thought they had community support. But there's a sense of inertia in this town that's very difficult to tip into. They're not alone, though. Across, across the state, the Ohio State School Boards Association 
released that 33% of new school tax requests were approved on Tuesday. And that's the lowest passage rate for those kind of issues in a May election since 2007. That was like the cusp of the recession. Several of these levies got less than 20% yes votes, according to the school boards. Okay, but but you have to look at this from the other direction. A community decides how it wants to move ahead with education. It's not the school board that di- dictates policy. It's the community that funds it. This community <laughs> has repeatedly said, we don't want to spend that money. We don't want to build those new schools. We want you to educate the children with the money that we're already providing. At some point, you've got to follow the will of the voters. They're in charge. Well, I mean, you have to, right? You can't just take money that you don't have. You have to have the voters approve it. And what they wanted was this four mil bond issue that would have cost about, a, so probably like $130 a year for the cost of a $100,000 house. And they wanted to build this $250 million high school building that would have combined their three high schools. And they're going to tear down the current Parma Senior High School regardless. So they're going to go down to two using the existing schools, uh, Valley Forge, and I forget what the other one is. But so yeah, they have to live within their means. But I mean, I... I don't know. I don't live in Parma. I know there are new people moving in. It's it's affordable. Uh, if you want real estate, younger people have moved in. Maybe those kids are ha- people are having kids now. So there might be a turnover. There might be kind of not just the community thinks one way, but like different parts of the community have different ideas of how they should be educating their kids. Well, at least for now, majority rules. Maybe they should try to do what they're doing in Columbus (laughs) and have the 40% 40%. dictate for the 60% how to move forward. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why is Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost saying his lawsuit against Norfolk Southern over the East Palestine train derailment needs to move slowly? And what small victory was Yost claiming Wednesday in a separate case involving a charity raising money involving the train wreck? Lisa. Yost says it will probably take two or three years, maybe more, to settle the Norfolk Southern lawsuit in several phases over the next few years. He says, we really need to get to the facts. You know, it's going to take some time for discovery on the effects of that February 3rd train derailment on the environment and the residents. He says, it's really not about the money. For them, it's about finding out what happened and how bad it's going to be. So they're currently in discussion with Norfolk Southern on providing money to residents to make up for declines in property values after the crash. He says there's a pretty good chance for settlement before this case is over. And he said Norfolk Southern has kind of agreed that they have responsibility there. So that'll probably be the first domino to fall in the suit. He says taking longer will be the determining the effects on water, soil, crops, and livestock. And the longest thing will be the potential long-term health effects on East Palestine residents. So he said two or three years would be a pretty fast resolution. So I think we're looking at three years plus in, in this case. Now, there are more than 30 lawsuits filed by residents and businesses in East Palestine. Palestine. They've been consolidated into a single lawsuit by a federal judge in the Northern District of Ohio. But Yost said, you know, as far as his suit is concerned, he says the facts need to be uncovered as opposed to the private suits that are probably pushing for a quicker resolution. It's a smart move. He's right. We won't know what long-term effects are. And while he's got this lawsuit and he's got them in his in his grip, 
keeping them there for a while to determine just how much damage was done seems like a smart move. I, I This could be the rare case where Norfolk Southern is rushing to settle because mm-hmm. they know long-term health costs. I mean, what if you had a cancer cluster or something? I mean, the cost of that could be enormous, but it sounds like he's looking out for them. Mm-hmm. He did get that victory, though, in the uh, a small victory anyway, in the a charity that might or might not be a scam. Yeah, there was this group called the Ohio Clean Water Fund. It was run by Michael Peppel, and they were supposedly giving emergency aid and, and clean water to East Palestine residents after the train derailment. But uh, Yost sued him back in April 10th, and he said, you know, of the $131,000 that they raised, only 10000 went to the intended recipients. So he was seeking searching for a preliminary injunction. So a Columbiana County Common Police Court requires Peppel to set aside $45,000 until the case is resolved. That's another one where Yost is looking up. He's done good work on this one. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, Layla, Destination Cleveland announced a pretty dramatic, what could be a pretty dramatic lighting scheme for much of downtown Cleveland uh, that's patterned on some cities elsewhere in the world. What's ahead? Yeah, this is sort of inspired by how beautiful and inviting Public Square is during the holiday season when it's full of lights and people come from all over to enjoy them. But then, of course, the square goes dark after that. It's gloomy for the rest of the winter and the foot traffic just drops off downtown. So Destination Cleveland has this plan to add what they refer to as experiential lighting to downtown and they're focusing on a pretty big swath of, of downtown from Public Square to Playhouse Square and then north to the mall. And the idea has been several years in the making. It, it seeks to emulate lighting installations in Belgium and Indianapolis. It's a project that's going to cost about $7.5 million with Destination Cleveland picking up just under half of that. And they're going to raise money for the rest of it. I'm not entirely sure how this would look. I was trying to look around online for images of the installation they have in Indianapolis. But I don't know if buildings will be illuminated or if it's going to be like lighting from the ground up so that the area kind of glows. I'm not sure. They they said this is definitely not street lights. So it's something more, you know. Yeah. We're we're going to send photographer to Indianapolis to get an idea of it because it, it'd be a little while before we know. I wonder if the the, the development of LED lights makes this easier. Anybody that's been around for well, a quarter century now, I guess, remembers when Mike White, as part of the Cleveland Bicentennial, put a lot of money into lighting up the bridges mm-hmm. on the Cuyahoga River, each one a different color. It's very dramatic. Within a few years, much of that had deteriorated because Cleveland, Northeast Ohio, winter, it's tough on on infrastructure and it was the old style lighting. Some of it's been restored, but it's not to where it was. Hmm. I wonder if this is easier today because of LED lights, or I wonder if you can't use those. We really don't know quite yet. That's why we're going to go to Indianapolis. I'm sure a photographer would rather go to Belgium, but not in the cards. <laughs> no, I saw that in your note this morning. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's so this is one of several initiatives that Destination Cleveland announced at their meeting this week. And Others included things like a a new podcast that answers some fun questions about Cleveland, a project to put up some murals all over in in six different neighborhoods for photo ops, and then this vending machine with Script Cleveland merchandise that they're going to put at the airport. I thought that was pretty, pretty fun. (laughs) 
Yeah, that that's a good idea because of the if you're going through the airport last minute souvenir. And he said, Dave Gilbert said, this isn't to make money. This isn't to to do anything like that. It's to spread our brand. They have that cool Cleveland script sign. Uh, so it sounds like such a simple thing, right? A vending machine with stuff that says Cleveland on it. Yeah. But it's until actually... all the hats get jammed up in the machine and <laughs> <laughs> everyone's banging on it. <laughs> Like they've had some hard times at Destination Cleveland. The pandemic ate away a lot of their money. It's good to see them still thinking innovatively, mm-hmm. trying to do some things differently to to keep the downtown vibrant and attractive to tourists. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's go back to daycare for a moment. What? Why are daycare centers, many of them, shutting down for the day on Monday? Laura, don't parents need daycare on Monday? That's the whole point, right? Child parents need childcare in order to work. So they it's kind of an oxymoron. They want to prove how essential they are by shutting down for a day. This is a national moment movement called a day without childcare. And parents are going to have to figure it out so that the providers can go rally at the state house. And the aim is to galvanize Americans to improve this patchwork structure of nonprofits and businesses that provide childcare for us. And the goals are an equitable system thriving wages for child care providers because they make an average of about $11.17 an hour in Ohio and affordable care for all families. So I talked to one provider. She works out of her home. She actually is one of the few I've ever talked to who provides 24-7 care. Like if you need care on a Sunday night and you're enrolled in her center, she will provide it. She has about four employees and they're closing on Monday. She said her parents understood that she is speaking for all of them to to try to make a change at the state. And what they're really trying to do is work kind of two ends of the system to increase the number of kids who can get a subsidy from the government so that more kids will have access to quality childcare. Our, our, re- our rate is pretty low at about 140% of the poverty level and also increase the subsidy that goes to the childcare providers because Ohio works at what's called a market rate survey and they pay at the 25th percentile of what it actually costs. So a lot of centers are losing money if they take a subsidy from the government. I know, but is it really a smart strategy to annoy the hell out of parents to as proof that you need daycare? I mean, is that going to make the parents feel more friendly to your cause or more hostile to your cause? Wouldn't a little sugar work better than than a stick like this? I mean, it's an interesting idea. I've heard it happen for other causes, right? Like a day off the internet or, you know, a day without whatever. It's just to realize how p- much people rely on it because you take it for granted. Yeah. If Met- but if Mitchell's want to sell, wants to sell more ice cream, they don't close down for a day to make you miss it more. <laughs> yeah, but it gives you a different perspective. There was a 2004 movie called A Day Without a Mexican when the Mexicans all of a sudden disappeared from California and the resulting chaos that, and I think it made people think, you know, that, hey, you know, we, we, rely on these essential workers and when they're gone yeah you're angry but then you realize how important they are interesting i think the uh, people though who are going to realize it the most are the parents who are who are very inconvenienced by this i mean if 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 legislators 
cared about how it affects the common person, they they would have already done something about it. But they don't. So instead, people are probably going to get fired from their jobs on Monday. Well, they don't show I think up. they're doing this with the cooperation of parents. I don't think anyone's going to go drop off their kid and be shocked that there's a closed sign on the door. Like that would be awful, right? So, but I, you know, I talked about this the last time I wrote a, an in-depth childcare article that there was a provider that they are so short-staffed that if they can't meet the ratios they need to, the state-required ratios for the rooms, they have closed down the rooms before, and that is not planned. That is just because people call off sick or call off in general. So like it's happening to people without any notice. And this is their, their idea just to make people realize how important it is. But I, I agree. You're right, Layla. Like, I think you'd have to be really tuned out to not know how important childcare is. We just got a survey from that Goldman Sachs program, the 10,000 small businesses, 80% of them said that childcare was a problem in hiring because they needed more quality, affordable childcare so they could hire more employees. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. We've all seen them. What is the deal when you see a brand new wooden utility pole with a big chunk of the old one connected to the new one way up off the ground just hanging there? Layla? So this happens because although the utility poles themselves can be owned by the city or an electric utility like First Energy, Ohio law says that pole owners must let other companies attach infrastructure to their utility poles. The the electric lines are always on the top and other telecom companies like cable TV, fiber optic internet, old-fashioned telephone landlines, and, and others attach wires below that. But when it's time to replace the pole, the old pole can't be removed until all the other telecommunications companies have moved their lines to the new one. And there's apparently no time requirement for how quickly they have to do that. It can take months or longer to get all the utilities moved over to the new pole. So we are left with these eyesores, these utility poles, sometimes tied together because they're all carrying these wires. So, ugh. <laughs> yeah, it I, it's weird to me that, that, that there's not an easy fix for this. I would think that they would all agree to contract with some company that does this mm-hmm. so that they could go and they're, because they have relationships with everybody, they could just move them over and get rid of the old pole. It 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 And the thing is, it takes a long time. And so we asked for people, hey, are you seeing this? And we received quite a few saying, check this one out, check this one out, check this one out. It was like, come on, these are eyesores. Maybe Sherrod Brown will write a letter. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, I guess it's not uncommon for telecom companies to have agreements that let them move each other's lines. So a phone company might move the cable company's line or a contractor could come out and move wires for more than one utility, but telecom companies don't have those agreements with electric utilities. And so only electric utilities can move their own wires. So it's, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't know any of this. This was very fascinating story to me. <laughs> That's why we did it. People wondered, and now they have their answer. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Come back on Friday to wrap up the week of news. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thank you for listening.